Yo, today's QOD is you can't climb a smooth mountain. Here we go. Quote of the day show. I'm your host, Sean Croxton of SeanCroxton.com. We got Zig Ziglar on the show wrapping up the week. And today's Zig is going to talk about the mountain, the mountain that we all have to climb to reach our goals. And how for none of us is that mountain smooth. That mountain's got ups and downs. It's got rocks. It's got obstacles. It's got switchbacks. It's got all the things, right? And nobody ever gets dropped off on top of the mountain. You got to go through all the stuff. You got to go through the failures. And Zig is going to talk about the realities and the opportunities of failure. And one of the things that's going to fuel you through the failures is this thing called hope. Zig Ziglar's coming up. I know this will stun most of you because most people, when they see me, figure I'm probably in my early 30s or something like that. (laughs) But I'm 72 and a third, uh, folks. A few months ago, I stayed on the treadmill at the Cooper Clinic three minutes and 10 seconds longer than I'd been able to stay when I was 45 years old and in miserable condition. Uh, It's amazing what a little effort every day, a little reading every day, a little kindness every day, a little thoughtfulness every day. That's the way you raise positive kids in a negative world. That's the way you build a magnificent marriage. That's the way you win scholarship. That's the way you do anything. It's not the honeymoon that makes a difference. It's what you do when you get back from the honeymoon that's going to make the difference. The plans that you have and the consistency of following through. And a lot of people said, well, uh, Zig, you know, that, uh, uh, that sounds pretty good, but let me tell you about all the problems I've had in the past. You know, people love pity parties, don't they? <laughs> the problem with pity parties is very few people come, and those who do don't bring presents. I mean, uh, it's, just not a, it's just not a big deal for them. Uh, but instead of letting you tell me about your problems, let me tell you about 300 world-class leaders. I'm talking about Helen Keller and Clara Barton and Mother Teresa. I'm talking about Martin Luther King and Mahatma Gandhi. I'm talking about Roosevelt and Churchill. I'm talking about world-class leaders, 300 of them that did a study on 75% of them were either raised in poverty or they'd been abused as children or they had some serious physical problem. But they understood it's not what happens to you it's how you handle what happens to you that's going to make the difference. A lot of people say, well, I've just failed so many times. Let me say it again. Failure is an event. It's not a person. I love what Dr. J. Allen Peterson said about it. A failure means you put forth some effort. That's good. Failure gives you an opportunity to learn a better way to do it. That's positive. A failure teaches you something and adds to your experience. That's very helpful. Failure is an event, never a person. An attitude, not an outcome. A temporary inconvenience, a stepping stone. Our response to it determines just how helpful it can be. Yes, failure is an event. It is not a person. Life is a long series of ups and downs, and valleys are necessary. 
My friend and mentor, Fred Smith, 83 years old, says the food you grow in the valley is what you'll eat on the mountaintop. You will never find a very successful person uh, who's not had uh, the valley experiences because that's where they really learn character. As a matter of fact, if you analyze it just a, a little bit, and incidentally, a friend of mine, Charles Dixon, is writing a book entitled You Can't Climb a Smooth Mountain. <laughs> now, isn't that interesting? Because it's absolutely right. You can't climb a smooth mountain. You got to have the rocks and the crevices and the ups and the downs and the problems that go along with it. That's life itself. But when you look at the ups and downs of life, here's something that got me excited. And, and I, I got to be honest and confess, I have never prayed and asked God to send me problems. I've never said, Lord, I just got it so good. Why don't you send me some tough times? I mean, I've never done that. And chances are next time we get to Together, I'll still be able to say, I've never done that. <laughs> Which might be a mistake. Maybe I should. Because problems produce patience. Patience produces persistence. Persistence produces character. Character produces hope. And hope produces power. Inspiration is a hope builder. Of this, there's no question. I talked to a young man the other day named Charlie Wiedemeyer. Charlie Wiedemeyer is a very unusual man. He's a football coach, too. He led Las Gatas High School in California to its only state championship several years ago. 1976, Charlie Wiedemeyer was afflicted with Lou Gehrig's disease. I had the privilege of watching him at a practice session, and it was fully as exciting as any athletic event I have ever seen watching a practice session because uh, Charlie had his eyes on everything, and uh, he watched the offense and the defense, and when one of the assistant coaches would come over to him and say, Coach, here's what's happening. What do I do about it? He instantly would have an answer. A few minutes later, another assistant coach would run over and say, Coach, here's what's happening. What can I do about it? And he had an instant answer, and all the time, he was carrying on a full conversation with me, despite the fact that the only part of Charlie Wiedemeyer that can move are his eyes and his lips, and no sound comes from those lips. His wife, Lucy, was standing by reading the lips. He could hear what the coaches were saying, and he would give the instructions there. He led them to a state championship flat of his back. He's one of the most outstanding men or people I have ever met in my life. He was a disabled veteran of the year. Several years ago, President Bush was supposed to have appeared there, and something happened, and he couldn't. And Charlie said, oh, I was so disappointed. I was going to look at the president and say, Mr. President, read my lips. <laughs> he just got back from Holland, and before he went over there, he said to his wife, now, honey, isn't... Uh, Holland, where they have all that euthanasia? And she said, yes, it is. He said, you are going to bring me back, aren't you? <laughs> but you know, when you, when you think about what an incredible story that is, you, you know, he was a man who was Hawaii's athlete of the decade in the 1960s. Been flat of his back all of these years, and yet such an incredible attitude that he's got. You won't get any pity parties around him. In many ways, John Johnson is the epitome of hope. John Johnson was born in a shotgun house with a tin roof. Now, 
For you folks who don't know what a shotgun house is, maybe I better explain. A shotgun house simply means that you can open the front door and shoot a shotgun through it and not hit anything <laughs> because it's just a shell. It was on a muddy street in uh, Arkansas City, Arkansas. Raised in a time when racial prejudice was at the extreme. In Arkansas City, they only had the eighth grade for African-American students. They were working to get to Chicago where they felt the opportunities would be greater. It took them over a year to raise the money with uh, John and his mother doing everything, a nickel here and a dime there. And they didn't quite make it. They had to stick around another year. And his mother kept him in the eighth grade another year. She did not want him to have the idle time. And though it was an embarrassment to him, she also didn't want him to become accustomed to taking menial jobs. Where is John Johnson today? He's one of the 400 wealthiest men in America. He's been a guest in the White House of every president since Eisenhower. He owns a number of companies. Uh, he publishes Ebony Magazine. And he made this statement about hope, which is so beautiful. Men and women are limited, not by the place of their birth, not by the color of their skin, but by the size of their hope. Well, where did John Johnson get his hope? John Johnson got his hope from a remarkable woman uh, named Gertrude Johnson Williams, who was his mother. She was such a woman by means we can only imagine she completed third grade. She was then driven by poverty, by need, by want into the fields and kitchens of the Mississippi Valley. But she always lived in a valley on the other side of oppression. Her body was in the fields and kitchens, but her mind was in another sphere in the first class session. She was a short and forceful woman, not quite five feet tall, with the family bow legs, a big smile, and a will of steel. She walked straight up, her head held high, a woman of stature and quality. She had known pain and discouragement and fear. Out of all of this came a special kind of dignity, the dignity of a person who had seen a lot and survived and wasn't afraid of the future. What a marvelous role model she was. And you're thinking to yourself, boy, if John Johnson and his mother can accomplish what they accomplished, look of all the advantages and opportunities that I have today. That was Zig Ziglar. His website is Ziglar.com. You can watch today's talk on YouTube. It is called Hope, the Foundation for Successful change. That is it for me. I hope you have an amazing weekend and I will see you next week. Actually, next week is going to be our best of series. So I'll be playing our very best and most popular clips of 2022 as we go into the new year. So again, have a great weekend and I will see you on Monday. I'm out. Peace. Mm -hmm.